installment of the Run to Daylight podcast, Best Ball Study Hall, Anti-Bias. Let's get there. Let's make ourselves better with Matt Schauf. We're going to do the AFC North. Um, you can find the past ones on DraftSharks.com, and you will be able to find this one on DraftSharks.com. And as we mentioned a second ago, we will be doing the AFC South. We've had some interesting news today from the AFC South. Uh, the man with the worst beard in since David Letterman's new beard um, is now the coach of the Houston Texans. And we will cover that and what a debacle it is. And, you know, it's not really study hall material, Matt, but A, welcome, and B, you know, what's your thoughts on this whole just coaching cycle, racism? Um, it, it, I mean, just like a circular firing squad. I mean, the, the the whole racism discussion in the NFL gets kind of tiresome because, you know, there's a lot of. OK, so first of all, there's clearly an issue. Because we look at the players, we look at the coaches, we look at the leadership, and it, it doesn't match up. And you can but look wait, at individual. They, they have the Rooney rule. Right. You can look that at individual it. spots. You can say, well, a team's going to hire the best coach for its team. So, sure, look at every individual spot like that and say, well, how are we going to fix it if each team's just picking the best coach? It can't always be the best coach is a white guy. Now, it's a lot of, I don't know, folks that think that way talking to each other and then folks who are going to stay in their own head saying the other thing and the NFL clearly doesn't actually care about it because they're telling us with the back of the helmets to end racism and they can't figure out how to do it on their own. I guess it, it, it annoys me to watch them have the end racism, the stop hate, the, those messages because it rings hollow when the NFL has issues like this of its own to fix and isn't doing anything to help that. Yeah, I mean, you know, so I don't mind the messages, you know, but again, empty words are are like wind, right? And you can't grasp the wind. And, you know, there's seriously legitimate beefs by African-Americans about the overall situation. Um, acerbated this year by a couple of things. One, David Culley getting fired when he didn't deserve to where he had made the most of the situation. Um, and Brian Flores, the same thing, right? So you had two African-American coaches who were let go um, when they both had overachieved um, and done very well considering the talent that they had. And it's hard not to look at that and say, well, if a white guy was in that same situation, would he still be there? Uh, I mean, God forbid. I mean, look, Dave Gettleman was there for four years and he was, you know, as bad as his job as any human can possibly be and arrogant on top of it. Um, but then when you look at some of these hires, the counterpoint is I think Brian Dable was a good hire. And I think Joe Schoen was, you know, uh, or however you're supposed to pronounce that name. Jane. You know, he, he should be entitled to bring a guy along that he's familiar with. Yep. Um, you look at um, Mike McDaniel, 
Um, and you know, I, I know he's multiracial, but I mean, you know, you can't you can't argue that higher. I mean, he's been he's you know, I wish the Giants might have hired uh, Peters and him instead of Shonen and Dable. I'm not convinced over the course of the next five to seven years. I like Joe. I like Shon, but I I do think that uh, Peters and McDaniel are you know really good choices. The bigger thing for me, even even without having to parse all the way through it, is Brian Flores stands to lose a lot more by bringing this suit in terms of his potential coaching career in the NFL than he does by just letting it go. So I, that tells me that there's fire behind the smoke of this lawsuit. And, you know, you see Hugh Jackson and others jump up and say, I'm ready to uh, share some info with you to support it. So I, clearly there is an issue and it's not a surprising issue if you've been watching the league. Yeah, you know, Byron Lefwich um, could have had a job, um, and he rightly probably didn't take the Jacksonville job. I mean, you could argue that the Bears could have hired someone other than Eberflus. Anyway, the point being, in a micro, you know, there's none of these coaches other than Lovey Smith, you know, who who, who could have been hired because he is African-American, because the league's trying to get the heat off themselves. Anyway, it's obvious that there's a problem. Uh, I just don't know how to fix it. But the Houston thing is just comical, and they're taking a lot of heat on Twitter. And it's hard to argue. I mean, Lovey did a pretty good job in Chicago. So I'm not as down on him as some other people are. But the way that uh, the Texans, you know, firing David Culley to promote the, his defensive coordinator the optics on that are really bad. Yeah, if Lovey Smith's the best option right now, why wasn't he the choice last year? I mean, Houston's a joke at this point. Lovey Smith, he also had the stint with the with the University of Illinois. I can't say I followed it closely, but I know that he didn't light the world on fire good. with that one. Yeah. No, and and you know, but he, look, he's a seasoned coach. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they're probably going to lose anyway. It'll be interesting to see if they bring Josh McCown on now as a coordinator or at least to give him the seasoning that he seems to need. And I wouldn't have been as upset about that as, as, as some other people would have been too. If you really think the guy has the right qualities and that's the guy you like, you know, who am I to say he won't work out? Although, you know, it, the odds again are bad. All right. So let's start with the Titans. Ryan Tannehill last year. I mean, let's face it. The Texans overachieved but they were paper tigers. Ryan Tannehill had a 67% completion percentage, 21 touchdowns and with 14 interceptions. Part of that you can chalk up to not having some of his best weapons for most of the year, but he's now 33 years old. I don't know what to say. I mean, he's probably not going anywhere, but he's, he's not that great either. Right. He kind of is what he is. And it might be, it might seem counterintuitive, but he's actually a better fantasy quarterback when Derrick Henry's on the field. Um, Just from this past season, he was averaging 20.6 fantasy points per game in the eight games before Derrick Henry went down. And then after the injury, 17.1 fantasy points per game the rest of the way. And even previous seasons, his, you know, I've talked with Jared about it in doing the DFS shows, but 
you know, you want to think it's either Derrick Henry or Ryan Tannehill in a given week, but a lot of Ryan Tannehill's biggest fantasy outings have come in big Derrick Henry games as well. So that whole offense is better when Derrick Henry's healthy and producing. Oh, there's no doubt about it. In fact, one of the nice cheat codes in DFS is to play Tannehill, AJ Brown, and Henry together because on the you get a pretty unique stack at low ownership uh, because a lot of times people don't want to play the quarterback and the running back. Mm-hmm. But a lot of their big weeks, this is something JM to win shared on one week season. Right now, Ryan Tannehill is. Uh, definitely dropped from his ADP of last year. He's now quarterback 17 at pick 133. I mean, my initial my initial uh, thought there is, you know, I think I might prefer Trevor Lawrence or Tua, the two behind him, because they have higher upside. But I think he's solid. And if you build a second, you know, the only problem is with my second quarterback, I tend to like a late stack you know, where I can get a couple guys late second quarterback and then take like a 16th and 17th round uh, wide receiver, kind of like what you got last year with um, the Raiders. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and he doesn't give you that. But I do think he is a solid second Mm -hmm. uh, quarterback at that point. Yeah, I think there's some upside from that spot. He did finish QB 13, QB 8 the past two years, but he was only 16th in fantasy points per game. So I think it's an appropriate level for Ryan Tannehill right now. And the problem with that late stacking is we're going to have to wait a little bit to see who to stack him with. I mean, Julio Jones is going fairly late, but not quite in the range that you're talking about. And then beyond that, there are a bunch of guys that are heading to free agency. So we don't know, you know, who the late round tight end might be, who the third wide receiver is going to be for that team yet. Yeah. And we don't even know if Julio is actually going to be there. Right. I mean, there's been no news of him uh, retiring, but the man can't stay healthy at this point. It's it's really hard to trust stacking. I mean, look, at his ADP, he's fine. Right. If you you know, if you take Julio, uh, what's his ADP right now? It's like 67th among wideouts or something like that. Yeah. But let's look at him in relation to Tannehill uh, as far as who you have to take first you take Tannehill and then you can get Julio right behind him. So that's, that's actually not a bad strategy Mm -hmm. um, because one thing I've learned once you get like at the the 12th round, not as much, but when you get to like the 15th, 16th round of these drafts, really all you're looking for is a guy who's going to give you three to four usable spike weeks, Mm -hmm. you know, a 15 to 20 points and Julio can give you that plus more. I haven't drafted any Julio yet, I don't think. Maybe one share out of like four drafts. I promised myself I wasn't going to draft, but these $10 drafts are so cheap. Mm-hmm. And then Billy Musio talked me into doing one of our FFPCs. So I'm in a, a 125 right now. We went from the nine hole and we took JJ and uh, then Dalvin at 2-4. Mm-hmm. So we got a little bit of a Viking stack going. What are your thoughts on that? I'm not sure how I feel about Justin Jefferson and Dalvin Cook on the same roster, but I think that Dalvin Cook is a bit undervalued right now for, you know, what he still is and should be for that offense. Yeah, we could have taken Mixon, probably should have, but I will say in the past, you've seen real good spikes out of one of those guys. You Mm -hmm. know, it, it was a very good DFS strategy in 2020 to play one of Cook, Thielen, or Jefferson in every lineup. Uh, 
because mm-hmm. there was a very good chance you'd get a 30-point game out of one of them. Almost every week you'd get a 30-point game out of one of them, mm-hmm. right? So if you played 100, 150 lineups, having one of them in each team was very, very good up until the point where all three of their salaries started being elite. Mm-hmm. And then it was tougher to, to do that. All right, let's st- let's stick to the Titans. A.J. Brown, uh, the man had an off year. I mean, there's no other way to put it. And he's still going as wide receiver eight at pick 19.5. I was hoping that you'd get a little bit of a discount on him. Um, this is about where he went last year until Julio got there. And then he dropped a little bit. Mm-hmm. So he's actually going earlier than he did for most of August of last year. I don't hate it, but I mean, he's, he, he's another one who just seems to have these nagging injuries. Yeah. The thing that worries me about him is that he's already had a couple of knee surgeries. So he's going to be somebody I watch over the off season to see what the outlook is. You know, it's tough to say if the other stuff has been related to that. And it was a, I think it was a chest injury that cost him a couple of games um, late this season. So clearly that's not related and not the kind of thing we worry about going forward. So I think I can understand why AJ Brown is where he is. Cause there are a lot of AJ Brown fans out there and he was, he was a spike week King this year. I mean, it was a down year overall, but when he was on, he was really on. So I don't hate him being in round two. I haven't quite gotten to gotten around to drafting him yet. I've done, I think I'm six drafts into the, the big board tournament so far. So not that far in, but I don't know. I, I can't say that he's inappropriately priced because if Julio Jones isn't ready to rebound at all and they don't bring in anybody big, AJ Brown's been right around 25% target share each of the past two years. So he's good enough to turn that into, you know, top six wide receiver scoring, especially in the half PPR format. Yeah. So it, it kind of goes against my strategy right now. And, you know, in a vacuum, yes, it's reasonable. But you've got Nick Chubb right behind him. And uh, then behind him, you got Barkley. You've got Antonio Gibson and Akers. I mean, I found myself uh, taking Cup, Chase, or Jefferson, or even Hill in the first round, and then coming back and getting two of those running backs and feeling really good about my start. So, you know, I'm not fading him, but... Mm -hmm. You know, one of my strengths, and it's important to know your strengths as well as your weaknesses. One of my strengths is that I'm good at playing the the value of the overall draft board, right? And to me, if you get those two running backs, like I did one recently where I took Gibson instead of A.J. Brown and then got Barkley coming back in the like 2-3, two, 2-4, two, One of the keys, we know that wide receivers tend to outscore running backs throughout the whole of the draft, right? So it then becomes incumbent to take running backs when they have the chance to be as close as possible to wide receiver scoring and then have wide receivers when running backs scoring sort of bottoms out. So that's why I am, you know, like I think Gibson is rock solid with Jay uh, McKissick being a free agent. Um, I think he can be what everyone thought. He, you know, I love these post-hype guys sometimes 
because everything that people were drafting Gibson in the end of the first round last year and beginning of the second has a much bigger chance of happening this year with McKissick, a free agent, than it did last year. But everyone wanted to hope because we're all so smart on Twitter. What we hope is what NFL coaches will do. Uh, but now I think there's a much better chance that Gibson is the guy making mm-hmm. me a lot less likely to want AJ Brown there. Yeah. And even if you, even if you're not an Antonio Gibson guy, you mentioned Saquon Barkley and Cam Akers. They're both in that range as well. I think they're both going later than they should be. Cam Akers is going later right now, uh, much later right now than he was last year ahead of the injury. He was getting into round one and now he can be had as late as mid round three. So that's why I haven't really gotten to A.J. Brown, even though I say I think it's an appropriate area for him. Right. Um, Fantasy data. I'm guessing that's Billy Musio. Billy, is that you? Fields is another name that fits your description. Uh, Yeah, but we're we're, we're not really talking about QBs. And uh, we did cover Fields on the last episode. Both Jared and I thought that he was a great value at ADP. In fact, Twitter is littered with how great a how great a value fields is so i don't expect him to continue to be uh which is a shame because i would take an awful lot of him if he stays where he is let's go look at the targets see if there's anything we missed all right so aj brown 105 and 13 games uh westbrook akeen who is you know if you want to take a guy who actually played pretty decently He's a guy you can get in the 20th round, and you could probably get him in the 22nd round if you wanted to. I have taken one share of Westbrook Akeen in the one Ryan Tannehill lineup that I had so far. And obviously, um, one of the big disappointments was Anthony Ferkser, who still had 34 catches, but you know he didn't get the role that we had thought. I don't think he's going to be drafted too much this year. Um, He was in the doghouse a bit as well. And he's uh, a pending free agent. So I believe so is Jeff Swaim and Michael Pruitt. So we don't know who that tight end is going to be. They, I was surprised even today to see that the Titans wound up 16th in total tight end PPR points this season. The problem is they spread it around. They had eight touchdowns to the position, three by Pruitt, uh, three, I believe by Swaim and the other two by Ferkser. So you know, there was some overall value there, but it was just spread too thin to make any player actually helpful. Both Ferkser and Swain finished 31st, 33rd among PPR tight ends. Is Nick Westbrook, Nick Westbrook Akeen? I'm guessing it is, right? Yeah, it's got to be. I mean, I didn't know he was a free agent. I thought he was like a rookie. Um, so looking at the free agents, we do have uh, most of these guys. So at least Westbrook Akeen's an exclusive rights free agent. So he's... The only way he's not back is if they don't want him. So I think if you are taking a late round Titan, he's a solid guy to look at because, um, you know, as you can see in the list, I believe that Chester Rogers is a free agent and then whoever even else is a a tight end on that team. So there's, there are a bunch of questions there. That's the other thing I wanted to talk about. Derek Henry is still being drafted really early. So he's the third player off the board, uh, ADP of 3.6, um, I feel like um, Billy says uh, Engram to Tennessee or Njoku. I think Njoku is uh, a decent candidate. But again, 
they've never used the tight end. So I, I would almost rather see Njoku and Engram end up somewhere where they have a uh, history of using the tight end more. What your thoughts, Matt? Yeah, I agree. It looks like tight end jail to work under this staff. And I mean, that was even after Arthur Smith left this past year, they did the same thing. And, you know, maybe it's who they had, but they had Jonu Smith before who I guess was good enough to get money from the Patriots, even though they're using him the same way. So, I mean, you know, we'll see. I'm not going to assume that if a bigger name and I would call Evan Ingram a bigger name, I would not assume that if he lands there, he's necessarily going to disappoint, but I have to kind of bake in the possibility that he does and we'll see who else they sign. There's definite opportunity. And I absolutely agree that Evan Ingram and David Njoku present plenty of upside as players going forward. Yeah. Uh, Thanks, Billy. Those were good suggestions. All right. So let's talk therefore about uh, Derek Henry. I faded him last year and I got bailed out because, you know, I just felt that it was going to be hard for him to to match what he had done the year before. But there was this little thing tingling in the, my background that the, the running back coach threw to the running, the guy who uh, was the OC had thrown to running backs a lot. And we did see Derrick Henry used more in the passing game, but I still think I'm going to be underweight on him due to the fact that I just don't trust these guys with these feet injuries. We just have seen it too many times the foot doesn't hold up the second year. Um, your thought, Matt? Um, first of all, I'm still reeling about your tingling background because that sounds like something you should bring up with your doctor. But for Derrick okay. Henry, I, I agree. I was underweight on him last year too. And then I was like, oh crap, I missed. And then, as you said, got bailed out by the foot injury. His efficiency did fall off though. But you know, you can look at yards per carry. I know that's a flawed stat, but he went 5.1, 5.4, and then 4.3 last year. But also rushing DVOA from football outsiders. He was 25th in that stat among 50 qualifying backs this past season. That was after finishing 10th and 11th the previous two years. His first three seasons finished second, 21st, and 4th. That was before he was the workhorse back. So he is getting older as a running back. He's had a lot of carries. I know he's enormous and in excellent shape. So I think he'll probably remain productive. His carries have picked up each of the past two seasons. It's tough to imagine him continuing at that pace. I mean, he was averaging 27.4 carries a game this past season before going down. That's in the past. That has been the kind of work that then leads a guy to get hurt the next season. So I can't say that Derrick Henry doesn't belong in the first round, but he sure makes me uneasy still in the range where you have to take him. Um, Bradley, uh, Billy's partner at fantasy data. Henry is an avoid for me in the top three picks too many ways to fail. Um, I think that that, you know, is in line with what we're saying. Now we'll talk about the guy that I came here to talk about Donta Foreman. I like Donta Foreman, not as a rookie, but kind of, he grew on me right before he tore his Achilles. And I didn't like his college tape, but I, I, you know, I felt like he showed, more wiggle than I expected. I didn't like the wiggle in his college tape, but I mean, he balled out and, you know, right now you can get him at, I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. Some of the people who are going ahead of him, Trey Sermon, Kenyon Drake, Daryl Williams, Zamir White, Justin Jackson, Brian Robinson, JD McKissick, Jarek McKinnon, Jamal Williams, I mean, so basically you can get Dante Foreman in the 20th round of pretty much any of these drafts. And 
we go back to that that equation that I've talked about. Does he have the talent? Yes, he showed it, right? He showed that he can be a really good back. Do we know where he's going? No. If he gets there, do we know that he's going to get the ball? No. But that's why he's in the 20th round, right? Give me a guy like that in the 20th round. Even if he ends up backing up Henry again, you're not the only one, Matt, who's looking at Derrick Henry's 270 carries and saying, that's not sustainable. Um, you know, you give Dante Foreman 100, 125 carries, um, that gives you a floor in the 20th round because he does have touchdown equity. And then if Derrick Henry goes down, he can he can crush. Um, that's my thought. Am I? Uh, is there anything that you would say that would dissuade me of my opinion? My only thing is that running backs don't matter. And I don't say that to say that Deontay Foreman doesn't matter, but he played well last year and yet he could be not signed by anybody until the end of August. And so I'm not, I, I, he's fine as a pick in the 20th round. If he lands back in Tennessee, I think you've won by picking him in the 20th round. My concern is that he's not, he's, he's just not at a priority position. And especially we've got the draft coming that seems to have a decent number of running, running back. So I think we'll see teams look there first and then maybe look at a guy like Foreman. He was, you know, on the street after his time in Houston, he had a stint with Tennessee before and then came back for this one. Um, so, you know, again, late round, end of the draft, fine, because you're not really giving anything up. And if he lands somewhere decent, then you're in good shape. But I, there is a chance that he doesn't do anything this year. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which is why he's going in the 20th round. That's right. That, the, the, my counterpoint to that is teams love guys like him who can push the pile. So I don't know. I mean, you look at a lot of teams where – he could come in and, and be that guy, like Miami, right? I mean, he could go to Miami and be the first and second down back because these teams, a lot of them really don't like using draft picks on running backs for the same reason that you just talked about. Especially now that underdogs expanded it by two rounds at the end, I tend to be going wide receiver or, you know, third tight end in that range, because I'm then picking guys that I feel much more comfortable about being on a roster and contributing. You know, as I said, though, if Foreman lands in the right spot, you got gold there. Yep. And I, and I, again, I feel like um, both, both, uh, you know, it's just a bet that I feel good about right now. You know, certainly if there wasn't questions, we wouldn't have him, in the round that he is. Let's look at their overall cap. So they've got some cap issues. Mm-hmm. There's 6 million under, obviously uh, they'll find a way to redo some contracts. Um, but I wouldn't expect any high priced free agents for the Titans. And Julio Jones, I believe has 13.2 million in dead money if they were to cut him this year. So, you know, I don't know about the contract and gymnastics beyond that. Maybe it's still possible, but it looks like from what I can tell from his contract via spot track that he'll be back in Tennessee this year. When you look at it, um, I, I think they're more likely to restructure a guy like Tannehill to get under mm-hmm. and maybe a Bud Dupree to get under, but they are not someone that I am thinking is going to be super involved 
On the other hand, you've got the Indianapolis Colts, who's the next team we're going to do. $37 million to spend, a very good team. They went out and traded uh, last year for Carson Wentz. And, you know, they were they were playing it like he was, you know, an opportunity to get a guy who had shown something in at Philadelphia in his rookie year, uh, but hasn't really shown it since. And he, he didn't look good last year. And the GM even said, basically said, we're not happy. And so I think it's going to be interesting. Are, would you even draft Carson Wentz right now? I would not draft Carson Wentz right now. Maybe as a third quarterback, but not as one of my two. Frank Reich has clearly refused to commit to Carson Wentz for the coming season um, at the end of this year. And it's easy to you know overlook that. But if we look back a year to when he was coming off of season of Philip Rivers being their starting quarterback, this is what Frank Reich said about Philip Rivers after his 2020 season. As I sit here right now, yes, I want Philip Rivers to be my starting quarterback. I think Philip still has a lot of good football left. Now, many of us watched Philip Rivers over his last couple of years and thought this guy looks like he's very near the end. So Frank Reich felt that strongly about Philip Rivers after 2020 would not even say, yeah, Carson Wentz is still somebody I believe in after this past season. So I think that there's a decent chance he's not their starter by September. Yeah. I mean, this year he came and I mean, last year he came and this year he might Wentz. <laughs> yes. Jose says... Henry would be a perfect pick if he falls around the one-two turn. I would agree with that, but he's right now going third. But at the same time, you guys should know that uh, how I feel about having more than 15% of anybody in the first two rounds. You know, I, I could look at that whole first round and I could tell you right now in the first two rounds, Taylor, I feel good about. McCaffrey, I feel good about. Henry, I don't. Cup. I think there's reason to, to, to be nervous after such an outlier year, but you, it's hard to argue. So I feel comfortable drafting him. Feel pretty comfortable drafting Eckler, although his increased goal line work, you, you wonder about. I feel good about Najee there. Uh, we talked about Jamar Chase. I, I love the player, but there's a lot of mouths to feed. Jefferson's fine. Cook, I don't feel that good about. Tyreek, Adams, now Kamara, you've got an issue. There's not a ton of people that you're going to say, I feel really good about in the first round. Yeah, I think where I would differ on Derrick Henry versus last year is I still am uneasy with him there, but I'm not going to fade him. I'm going to get a little bit as opposed oh, I, to... I, I, you have to. If yeah. you only want 50, max 15%, I mean, it's real. You know, when I say I faded a guy, that means I had 4 to 5% of him in the first mm -hmm. round. Right. That's fading to me, and that's where I think I will be with him. Uh, I agree. Carson Wentz right now is a guy I'm not looking to take, and I don't like taking three quarterbacks. Yeah, I don't I mean, either. I, I, you know, even with the 20th round, it's such an easy thing to do to take that third quarterback. But unless there's a quarterback at the end that I already have a couple players and it creates a mini stack, I feel like I would rather take some shots in different directions. I'd rather take two two quarterbacks earlier and have two really good quarterbacks and then be able to use two spots at wide receiver toward the end. Yeah, if I'm uh, taking if I take three quarterbacks, it's probably because 
the backups got away from me and my my second quarterback is like Daniel Jones or even somebody. Or I didn't start until the 10th round. Right. You know, like I missed the tier. So, I mean, just so I'm clear to those people who are listening, if I get anybody through Justin Fields, then I feel like if I get a decent second guy, I'm going to probably stop. Of the late guys, I, I think Daniel Jones is a really good pick. Zach Wilson makes me nervous, but you can get a bunch of Jets late. So I've made a couple teams with him. I think Matt Ryan and Baker Mayfield are both guys, and even Jared Goff, I mean, are guys who you can feel pretty good about taking. Yeah, and so my erstwhile sometime partner, Billy, who loves taking quarterback late, Billy, the 20 rounds are great for you because you can wait until your heart's content, and now it makes a lot more sense to do so. So I think that that rule definitely helps your strategy. Let's go back. Jonathan Taylor, uh, is he the clear number one to you? I think he has to be because of Christian McCaffrey's injuries the past two years, you know, lower body stuff this year, at least. Um, So I I don't, I feel less good about it than I did Christian McCaffrey in the top spot last year, but I think it's tough to say otherwise right now. It's because he, he not only got a ton of carries this year, he significantly increased his share of Colts running back carries. He significantly increased his share of targets. So the Colts used him the way we all thought that they should and hoped that they would. And that's why he delivered. And he's just a good player. Yeah. You know, if we look at them this year, um, the biggest area was that he, he took over for Naheem Hines on third down a lot. And they ended up with near identical targets and catches where if you look at the previous season where Hines pretty much had played every third down, you know, 76 and 63 catches and 39 and 36. So that was a huge uh, sea change. And that's something, Matt, that I am really, you know, as we continue with our studying, that's something that I I really, I think I might have mentioned it to you. It's something I want to be better at is leaving room for what we don't think will happen. Mm-hmm. Right. Like we didn't think Naheem Hines, you know, Naheem Hines was one of my most owned players in basketball. But when you have somebody that's that talented, I think, you know, you don't want to do it for every situation. You can't. But when you've got someone who's supremely talented, sometimes rational coaching actually happens. Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes we actually get it. Right. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to assume too strongly that they're going to be rational, but you also don't want to uh, give up the possibility that they are. It's especially strange given that they extended Naheem Hines in September, and then he got the fewest opportunities per game of his career. But the thing that bothers me, because I was underweight on Jonathan Taylor for this season, and looking back on it now, obviously you can you can say, well, Naheem Hines was getting a lot more work last year. I just thought that was going to continue. But looking back on it now, it's not crazy to have seen that that changed. It would have been crazy for the Colts not to give Jonathan Taylor the ball more. So what I want to do for myself is leave open those possibilities where I might be wrong. Cause I, I know every year that I'm going to be wrong about some things and there are some things that you just get wrong. And then there are some instances where you can hedge a little bit and it makes sense. And definitely hedging more 
in favor of Jonathan Taylor would have been a good idea because I love Jonathan Taylor as a player. I like the Colts offensive situation. So I just, I should have worked that in more and that will go into planning this year and beyond. Yeah. And, and I think the key thing, the key thoughts that keep in our head is first of all, it's a DFS thought is, and, and most people don't get this. It's simple, but a lot of people on Twitter don't get this is when you build a lineup, you're betting that, that, that it will happen. And you have to build the rest of your team as if what you're betting on will happen, right? Like some people will say, well, take Taylor and Hines together. No, right? My, my hedge on my Jonathan Taylor lineups, if I own 10% of him, is the 90% of the teams that I don't have Jonathan Taylor. On those 10% of those teams, I have to go into it with the thought that he is going to get it. And that, that's a switch. That's It's one of those things that you have to shoot WD-40 into because that switch keeps getting clogged a lot of times. Yeah, and it's something I'm working on. I think the, the thing that makes it difficult is if you've spent all of your fantasy life playing full season leagues and, you know, a few leagues a year, then you're building a roster that you're going to manage through the, through the year and you're going to have opportunities to, you know, fix what's wrong. But now if you're drafting high volume or playing a whole bunch of DFS lineups, then that's it's a different way of building. So it's something that I'm continually trying to work on, too. Yeah. And 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 also my biggest takeaway, and I said this to someone the other day, you know, I did 131 teams in the FFPC tournaments. Only one of them made it through. All the more I want to make every team like it's going to be that team that makes it through. Because the team that made it through, my three quarterbacks were Carson Wentz, Ryan Fitzpatrick, and Ben Roethlisberger. That was the team that made it to the finals. So what I mean is all the more making sure that I'm stacking, that once we get bye weeks and we get the schedule, that I'm putting week 17 correlations in. And the third one is in the FFPC especially – 11 of the 12 teams that made it to the finals had Mark Andrews. Only me and one other guy had Marquise Brown as well. Mm-hmm. So all the more I'm looking to, you know, as a tiebreaker, I want to stack because that's, it's that DFS leverage, right? If Mark Andrews got me there, but if he's going to fail week 17, well, if he fails, it's very likely that Marquise Brown is going to have a big week. It didn't happen for me, but that's another thing I think we want to consider as we're building teams. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure Billy would say the three quarterbacks were key for your roster there. Well, what's really weird is Billy and I built a ton of teams together, and he got one team to the final that I wasn't a partner with, and I got one team to the final <laughs> that he wasn't a partner on. And I had three late quarterbacks on my team, which is his thing. And he had Byron Pringle on his team, which was my most owned player that he kept telling me, no, no, I don't want to draft him. I don't want to draft him. And he had a big week 15, I think, for Billy. So it was really funny. But that's the benefit and the dangers of partnering. All right. So let's look at these. I mean, this is a team begging begging to add a, a key wide out. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not taking much Michael Pittman right now. As talented as he is, 
He got 129 targets, 88 receptions, but only 12.3 per catch, only six touchdowns. And when you look at where he's going right now, he's going, it's kind of a dead zone, unfortunately, but he's going pick 54. So early to mid fifth round, I don't know that he's going to still be the one this year. I mean, if any team should want to add another alpha, it is the Colts. What's your thoughts about his ADP? I think he's okay where he's going because he did take over as the top target. You know, I, I share the the consideration that maybe they could bring in somebody that changes his role, but at, at 24.8% target share in his second season, really his first full healthy season, I think he profiles well as somebody who's going to stay at least in that 20 to 25% range. So maybe I adjust it if they add somebody else, 60 more targets than his nearest teammate. And when you you know, factor in the disappointing quarterback play, I think that's another mark in Pittman's favor. I think that there is some more yardage and scoring potential to him if they get better quarterback play, because his yardage really fell off late in the year. So he's kind of like Elijah Moore in that range where I am not opposed to him. He doesn't go late enough to be a target player. And, you know, somebody that I could see outperforming, but I'm not excited about him outperforming that spot. Yeah, I am not a fan of Elijah Moore that early. I want to like I, Elijah Moore, but he's just going too early to be to, to be a target player. Well, and I'm on St. Brown and Devonta Smith. I'm not feeling either of them at ADP either. Definitely yeah. not feeling uh, Traylon Burks that early either. It's funny. It's the typically where the running back dead zone is, but right now... Um, it's a bit of a wide receiver dead zone for me. Anybody else on this team worth talking about? There's not, but I think it's worth noting that they have uh, guys hitting free agency as well, uh, including Moali Cox, a tight end. So they could be, you know, a factor on the free agent market for a wide out. They could be a factor in that tight end market. Um, and that would be, you know, a really good landing spot if we get one of those tight ends that we mentioned before landing here because the Colts, only ranked 19th in tight end PPR points this past season. They were 11th in 2020. They were 11th in 2019. They were second in tight end PPR scoring in 2018. That was Frank Reich's first year. So there's room for a tight end to go score some points there if they sign somebody with the talent. Funny you mention that because I was just about to mention Kyle Granson, who was kind of a little bit of a hype guy for a while. Mm -hmm. um, 15 targets, 11 receptions. They do like him. He's talented. Mm -hmm. And we've seen, you know, I mean, I mean, he's a guy that I think I wouldn't hate taking some if I need a third tight end in the 20th round. I think that's a name that could surprise a little bit. Yeah, I think he's a fine stash in those late rounds at this point. And it's certainly if they don't sign anybody or draft someone early, then I'll be interested in Granson. He's got a little bit of Jack Doyle to him, and it took Doyle a couple of years to get going. Mm -hmm. yeah, and I mean, it usually takes tight ends a little bit right. of time. Where right. it, Just because I don't bet on Granson for this season doesn't mean I'm not betting on him overall. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, as they used to say in Lethal Weapon, thin. It's very thin. Mm -hmm. uh, but then everything would blow up and, and they would just look at each other and go, yeah, thin. <laughs> um, all right. So let's move on to the Jaguars. Jaguars just hired uh, Peterson, 
the biggest problem is you really can't trust Trent Balky to get them any talent. Trevor Lawrence was bad. I mean, yeah. 59% completion percentage, 12 touchdowns, 17 interceptions. I mean, there was really no point in the season where you looked at him and said he was raising the level of the people around him. That being said, Peyton Manning had a pretty lousy rookie year, too. Troy Aikman, too. Yes. I mean, the world's changed, and we're now kind of used to these quarterbacks playing well out of the gate. He was set up to fail. The As soon as they signed Urban Meyer, I think we all knew, everybody who wasn't uh, – the who wasn't in Jaguars leadership knew that this year was going to be awful for Jacksonville. And it turned out to be even worse than any urban Meyer detractors could have guessed. And so it makes you the way Trevor Lawrence played and the way everything went, it makes you worry a little bit more than we all were about him at this point last year. But I think we have to just give him a mulligan basically, you know, maybe we draft him a little bit later, but I, I'm going to give him a mulligan, especially after we see what ends up on this offense, because there are a lot of questions for them to answer. DJ Shark is a free agent. I don't think he'll be back, but that leaves Marvin Jones. And they've got more money than anyone. And you'd like to think that they'd be smart enough to bring in some offensive linemen. It's a deep offensive lineman draft. And, and and get him some weapons. I mean, that's a place you, we were talking about tight ends. I mean, that's a situation. I mean, Dan Arnold's there, but that's a situation where th- this is a team begging for an alpha. And even if they can't, I mean, if, even if they can't find that between the draft and free agency, they have plenty of money and, and opportunity to play around with. You mentioned Shark. I mean, maybe he's like a one-year prove-it deal kind of guy where he does come back to Jacksonville. And I, I think Doug Peterson's a solid hire for them. He was a backup quarterback for his entire career. He then worked under Andy Reid. So if there's anybody who on the open market for a head coach spot who was a solid bet to kind of develop this number one overall pick, Doug Peterson looks like a pretty good candidate to do that. He landed in Philly in Carson Wentz's rookie year, uh, and the career started out pretty well there. It's gone rocky since then. So I think that right now Jacksonville is kind of an interesting offense to buy passing game pieces from because you're paying pennies to do so in these drafts right now. Yeah. And this is exactly the situation that I mean, where, you know, second stack, even if they're a bad team this year, if they improve enough that they're playing from behind, you can get Trevor Lawrence, LaVisca Chenault. I mean, he's plummeted. Marvin Jones and LaVisca Chenault. Marvin is down to round 13, and LaVisca is still also round 13. So, you know, you you could take Trevor Lawrence. So you can get him, and then you could reach for one of his weapons and then hope that the second weapon is there. Like if you're at the turn, take Lawrence as your quarterback, reach from, I probably would reach for LaVisca. And then, you know, hopefully, uh, and then, and Dan Arnold is, is going to be back toward the end. I mean, that's a second stack that I think is definitely worth some action because it's so cheap. Yeah. I mean, Marvin Jones finished wide receiver 34 in PPR last year. So he had a quiet middle of the season and it started right after the DJ Chark foot injury. If you look at the numbers around it, though, it really looks like it might have been the offense was the problem more than Marvin Jones and his contract. You know, you mentioned the salary cap space that they have, so that's not going to be an issue. 
and it's not like he's making a ton of money. So I, it seems like he is a, a solid candidate to remain there, especially with so many other questions to address on the offense. So I think Marvin Jones is solid in that range. I want to hear something from Doug Peterson before I'm optimistic on LaVisca Chenault just because of how poorly his season went in terms of losing playing time. But at wide receiver 68, you're not really gambling much to take him. And I think Dan Arnold might be the most interesting of those three because he's tight end 23 right now. He remains under contract for Jacksonville. James O'Shaughnessy is a free agent, so the position gets a little bit looser. Doug Peterson's Eagles teams had a whole bunch of targets for tight ends. They had huge tight end target share in Philly. Maybe that was just based on what they had at both receiver and Zach Ertz at tight end. But, you know, this Jacksonville offense is not loaded at wide receiver, and it's tough to imagine them coming into the season with a loaded set of wideouts from the starting point they're at right now. So I think Dan Arnold's a high upside pick in the range he's going at the moment. Yeah, uh, a lot to like here. Uh, I was completely off Travis Etienne last year due to the fact that James Robinson was there. But James Robinson blew out his Achilles. And I know that uh, that Akers, you know, has given uh, hope to, but you're talking about a free agent running back coming off an Achilles injury. I mean, James Robinson is undraftable for me. And Travis Etienne right now, his, AD, uh, his ADP is running back 20, you know, middle of the fifth round. I mean, I, I, I like Travis Etienne there. I do too. I mean, I'm surprised that James Robinson is RB 39 in underdog dog drafts right now because that that injury happened in week 16. I know you, you mentioned Cam Akers' return, but odds are still against James Robinson being a factor to begin this coming season. And you know, James Robinson was RB 19 in PPR points per game last year during a disappointing season in an awful offense on a terrible team. If you remove the two games that he left early with injuries, so Travis Etienne could easily hit that mark and certainly has upside beyond that point, I would say. Yeah. And you also have the fact that it's unlikely that they invest heavily again at the running back position after doing it with ETN. And yes, it's another foot injury, but it's a list Frank more than, you know, list Franks don't bother me as much as those Jones fractures. Mm-hmm. You know, those are the ones that seem to, to get re-injured. And they were smart. They put him out for the year. And supposedly he could have played at the end of the year, you know, but they they held him out. So um, I expect him to be healthy next year. Uh, Let's finish up with the disaster that is known as the Houston Texans. Um, I saw the funniest, uh, I think it was Andrew Brandt, someone I uh, respect a lot. But he said, uh, well, you're seeing just how good a job Bill O'Brien did when he was with the Texans. And I'm like, no, (laughs) Bill O'Brien is why they're in the situation they are, you know, between his lousy drafting and his lousy trading, Bill O'Brien just wasted a ton of talent uh, that's no longer there. So just stop with that. But uh, I do think that a lot of people on Twitter like Davis Mills, but boy, who knows whether he's even going to be there. I think it shows you just how bad a shape the Texans are in that Davis Mills is a bright spot. I mean, you know, he certainly impressed versus what he was heading into last season, but that's because everybody else there besides Brandon Cook stunk. Yeah. Credit where credit's due. He had a 66.8% completion percentage, 16 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, 
there was a number of games where you turned on the television and they were doing better than you expected them to. So I don't say he is, you know, completely, there's no chance. No. But I think there's also a chance that, you know, he's Taylor Heineke, a guy who, you know, really is a backup. Right. And, and a good backup. And it's really hard to figure when you look at their, you know, besides Brandon Cooks, I mean, Nico Collins, you know, 60 targets, 33 catches. I mean, he wasn't like some huge downfield threat either. That's pretty bad. I mean, Danny Amendola, Chris Conley, Farrow Brown. I mean, I mean, this is a team that, you know, desperately needs to probably trade down from their um, their draft pick and, and get more uh, options because mm-hmm. it's supposed to be a pretty deep draft. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I'm not opposed to Davis Mills, you know, outlook either. Maybe he does turn into something. He didn't have a whole lot of college uh, starts behind him before arriving in the third round last year. So maybe he turns into something. It just doesn't matter with what Houston has going right now. They have literally Brandon Cooks and nothing else to like. There are people who like Brevin Jordan heading into the season. I mean, okay. He's got opportunity, I guess, because the rest of the roster stinks. But but that's it. There, it's another team. And again, I know it's new coaching and, and everything. But again, you know, they've had a three-headed tight end monster for a yeah. while. And I mean, I like Brevin Jordan too, but it's too, it's kind of hard to get excited. Right. It's similar to Davis Mills. Brevin Jordan's fine, but he looks better because the Texans stink. I just don't, I don't think anybody besides Brandon Cooks is going to matter here. And we'll see who they add, if they can add any other offensive pieces that will matter. I'm all, I want to see what happens with Deshaun Watson too. I would really, I really wish we could move on to some further stage in this story. So we at least know what's going to happen. Yeah, I wish we could massage the results. I mean, David Johnson is pretty washed. Um, let's look at their free agents. Who's even back here? But it was interesting how they just signed every old washed guy. And then Rex played pretty good. So David Johnson's a free agent. Amendola, Conley, Chris Moore, Jordan Aikens. I mean, you literally could have a completely new set of bums here. Mm-hmm. That was a joke, <laughs> but you might, and it probably will be that kind of player again because uh, they just showed us with the coaching search. Nobody real wants to go there right now. You know that Brandon Cooks is waiting for his phone to deliver him the news that he's traded. Yeah, but he's he's very draftable where he is, and it's funny he kept getting traded his whole career, and now he can't get traded. Um, <laughs> yes. and, and you know he got traded like three times when he didn't deserve it. Now he finally would like to get traded and he's stuck in Houston. I don't think there's much else to say here. Any last thoughts on the AFC South? I don't think that I'm going to be spending too much time drafting AFC South players in prominent spots this year, but I do find the Jaguars interesting right now. I agree. Um, Matt, thank you as always. I will see you probably next week, although maybe we'll finish it this week. And then we got to start thinking of a topic to do after we do these reviews because it's 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 a blast having you draft sharks on. Well, thank you. It's a blast being on here. I like talking this stuff with you. Yeah, I I think that we've been studying, and I know it's made me better, 
Um, I'm going to throw out the thing that you said that changed my opinion the most uh, because we are, you know, really trying to work on our biases. Um, and it was on Michael Pittman. You you talked me around on Pittman. I think, I think with more consideration, there is a pretty good floor there in the fifth. And there's definitely some upside on top of it. You know, that one definitely helped me. So that's going to do it for this episode of the Run to Daylight uh, Best Ball Study Hall. Thanks for joining us. Or if you catch it later, if you guys could uh, subscribe and also, um, you know, tweet this out on uh, the feed, it would be appreciated. And we will see you next time.